We are in John 8. John 8 this morning, if you want to turn in your Bible there, the title this morning is True Freedom. True Freedom. The text we're going to be reading is particularly important. Uh, One reason is because it has the clearest declaration from Jesus to be God. So if anyone ever asks you, where in the Gospels or where in the Bible in general did Jesus himself ever claim to be God? And you can take them to John 8 at the end where Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. It's a strange statement. We're going to talk about what that means near the end. But it is Jesus' clearest statement to be God. The other reason why this text is important is because of Jesus' opening words about freedom. In fact, these words introduce the topic of the section. Our need to be set free is what we're going to talk about. Just look with me at verse 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This topic of freedom is, as we're going to discover, is what the whole story is about. And please understand this freedom is not political freedom. It it isn't emotional or physical freedom. This isn't financial freedom or relational freedom. Those versions of freedom that we often think about are seriously minor in comparison to the kind of freedom that Jesus is describing and offering. He's talking about a spiritual freedom, and we need to not mix this up. Several years ago, someone encouraged me to watch a a particular church service, and I I clicked on it, and they were going through a, a series about money. And, one, uh, and the pastor literally took the phrase that comes up later on, whom the son sets free is free indeed, and he applied that to financial debt and how Jesus wants to set you free from financial debt. I took my shoe and I threw it at the screen. <laughs> I was so, I was bothered that this man would reduce the freedom that Jesus was talking about here to mere financial freedom. He's talking about spiritual freedom. That's what we're going to look at today. So that's our heading and the place I hope to bring us to by the end of our journey through this passage is to convince you of this. True spiritual freedom is discovered by abiding in God's word. There are three sections to the story and we're going to look at each one because each one sort of highlights in a different way, this main idea that we're going to talk about today. So let's just start by looking at the first section. We'll read again verse 31 and 32 and go down to verse 38. But the heading for this section is slaves to sin. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? 
Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Let's pause there. Much like last week, in the, in the section we were looking at last week, Jesus makes a contrast here. Again, last week, he made this juxtaposition between one thing and the other. It was between light and darkness, between being above and below. And he was pointing out one is greater than the other. And this week, it's the same thing, only the topic is freedom and slavery. And the point that we drew out last week was that in a world of darkness, Jesus is the only source of true light. And this week is similar, that true spiritual freedom, freedom from slavery to sin, is only possible through the Word of God. And we should be thankful that it's possible at all. And the, but this section opens up with that discussion about freedom from spiritual slavery. And there's a few things that we need to observe in these verses. First, notice who he is talking to. John describes them in verse 31 as the Jews who had believed in him. This is strange. This is not Jesus against the world. This is Jesus against religious people. They were aware as Jews of God's word. In fact, they would have boasted in the fact that they possessed God's word. And this group especially professed some type of belief in Jesus. And yet, despite these descriptions that we read in the first verse, John 31, nothing of this interaction and the following interactions suggests that they actually had any understanding of God's word or belief in Jesus Words And John wants us to log that in the back of our minds as we think about what does it mean to have authentic discipleship? What does it mean to be truly set free? What does it mean to actually know God's word? What's also important, I think, to notice is that these people valued their ancestry, their pedigree, their bloodline. And it seems that they believed in this more, I think, than Scripture, this historical connection to Abraham, they saw it as a type of justification for spiritual freedom. And I'm going to say more about that in the next section because Abraham's going to keep coming up. But something we also need to observe is their misunderstanding, I think, in general of what Jesus meant when he talked about freedom. And in one sense, we're not actually sure what they thought he meant by that. I think it's fairly certain that they did not <coughs> think that he was talking about like literal slavery, uh, like geopolitical, socioeconomic kind of slavery, because they said they appealed to Abraham. And it also would have been a denial of like everything about their history. After all, their history is this, that God delivered them from slavery in Egypt, in which they were enslaved for 400 years. And then generations later, they become enslaved to the Assyrians and the Babylonians and, and others. And, and even here in Rome, they're under Roman occupation, which was a type of, of slavery. So 
We know they weren't thinking about that, but we're not sure if they understood exactly what Jesus meant. But they probably thought he was talking about some kind of spiritual freedom, otherwise they wouldn't have even brought up Abraham at all. And I think this was their logic and their conclusion to this topic that Jesus raises. It goes like this, because we have Abraham, the the patriarch that God called and gave the promises to that early covenant, because we have Abraham and because we have the promises that God gave to him, no matter what happens to us geopolitically or socioeconomically, we are spiritually free, which wasn't entirely wrong. We'll see in the next section. It's not entirely right either because Jesus clarifies in verse 34, showing that their assurance of freedom on the basis of their relationship to Abraham was wrong. He says this, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. In other words, I don't care who your daddy is. I don't care that you're related to Abraham, if you sin, you're a sinner. And if you're a sinner, then you're a slave to sin. The same is true for any of us. It doesn't matter if your parents were Christians. It doesn't matter if you yourself claim to be a Christian like, like these people did. They were Jews who believed in Jesus, is what the text says. If you're actively living in sin, you're a slave to sin. Ever since the fall of man, there has never been a human being that has not sinned apart from Christ. And that includes Abraham. That includes you. Your relationships to other spiritual people cannot free you from that slavery to sin. All it does is put you in the same category as them. What you need then is exactly what Abraham needed, which was to be set free from sin. And there is only one who can do that, not Abraham, not anyone else. That's why he says what he says in verse 35 and 36. He makes the point, if you have the Son, if you have Jesus, it's the only way you can be set free. He's the only one that you can appeal to to have spiritual freedom. Abraham doesn't set you free. Jesus alone does. And he, and he doubles down on that point when he says, listen, I, I know your offspring of Abraham, and yet it's a little strange you seek to kill me. And what he's saying is this, if you're a child of, of Adam, if you're a child and an offspring of Abraham, in other words, if you're just a human being in general, even if you're a Jew, a, a child of Abraham, it doesn't matter. You're all a slave to sin, and you need to be set free from that sin, and the only way that can happen is by the truth of God's Word. All throughout the Bible, the clear teaching of Scripture about mankind is this. We were made in God's image. We were made for God to have a relationship with Him, but sin has separated us from Him, and because of sin, our will has been corrupted so that we don't even desire God or the things of God. Our minds have been so polluted that we don't even consider God. Our hearts have been 
perverted to the degree that we don't love God. Or as as Paul put it in Romans 1, we don't give thanks to Him for anything. Therefore, every pursuit, every human pursuit misses the mark, which is really what sin is. It's missing the mark. Every human pursuit misses the mark of God's glory and will in our lives. And the best metaphor for this in Scripture, for this condition apart from God's grace, is slavery. It's the same metaphor that Paul uses in Romans 6. You don't have to turn there, but his argument is this. Before faith, all we did was sin because it's all we knew and it's all we could do. But then Paul writes this about those who have been set free from sin by grace through faith. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. In, in other words, it's by the word of God that you realize that you were even a slave to begin with. It's by the word of God that you are set free, and you're set free so that you can live according to the word of God, which leads to right living before God. This is the freedom that we need. This is the freedom that Jesus is offering in this story, and he offers to us and has offered to us, and many of us have received it. Freedom from sin, freedom from the penalty of sin. And it's God's word alone, his powerful word that's what set people free. Don't ever forget that everyone apart from grace, everyone that you run into, the lives that they're living, they're living enslaved to something. And it's sin. They cannot help it. And we should pray that they would be set free just like we were set free. With that said, let's read on, verse 39 to 47, (coughs) the next section of the discourse. And I need to warn you, it gets worse before it gets better. Um, Because this section, I'm calling sons of Satan. Last was slaves to sin, this is sons of Satan. Verse 39 to 47, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? 
Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. These are some strong words from Jesus, to say the least. Um, And there's several observations that we need to make from these verses as well. First, notice the discussion about Abraham continues. And again, they claim Abraham was their ticket to freedom. In the last section, Jesus showed how Abraham was an insufficient advocate to appeal for their freedom since he also was a sinner. But in this section, he pushes back on their understanding of what it means to be a son of Abraham. In other words, what it means to be one of his offspring and therefore by extension, what it even means to be Jewish. You see, they thought to be Jewish through, was through blood alone. And that's all that was required for receiving God's acceptance and possessing spiritual freedom. You had to be born into it. But Jesus teaches here, no, 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 no. A true child of Abraham is not by blood, but the person who does the things Abraham did. Remember, Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael, and it was the line of Isaac that God chose to fulfill his promises to have a future Messiah, wasn't Ishmael, and yet he was a son, but couldn't claim the same spiritual freedom. And that went on to Jacob and Esau, but again, Paul picks up on this point as well in Romans 4 and especially in Romans 9. And in that section, Paul's trying to answer this question that his audience is asking, his readers, and they're saying, did God's word fail when he promised salvation to his people? Because there's a lot of Jews who do not believe in Jesus as their Messiah. Did God's word fail them? And this is Paul's argument. It's not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. That would have been a bomb. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. In other words, their claim to freedom through Abraham was built on a false premise because Jesus shows them here, as Paul would do later on, that if they're truly children of Abraham, then they would be doing the things Abraham did, namely believe in God's word. They would share the same faith that Abraham shared, but they didn't. Again, we're going to see this further developed in the next section because they bring it up again. But instead of believing in what Abraham believed in, Jesus points out, you guys aren't doing what Abraham did. Instead, you're scheming on how to kill me, which leads to the big, second and biggest observation, this discussion about who, what, I guess, who their real father was and who they were truly children of, not of God, who they thought they were the children of the devil. But notice how this part of the discussion uh, begins. They take a cheap shot at Jesus. They passive-aggressively, passive-aggressively say to him that they were not born out of sexual immorality, which is a suggestion that he was. And I'm sure you could imagine there were probably lots of rumors about the circumstances of Jesus' birth 
And in this moment, they decide to sort of throw this out there to kind of cut him down. And this is what people do when they can't win an argument logically or biblically. They just attack your character or your history. And that's what they do here. But Jesus ignores it. Uh, They go a step further and they say, well, not only was Abraham our father, but I guess by extension, even God was their father. Now, they're not claiming the same kind of relationship with God that Jesus was, but this was their trump card, as you could say, hoping that it would justify their belief and their position that they were already spiritually free. But Jesus hits them back with a word of his own when he says, listen, God's not your father. The way you live your life, the scheming that you're doing, it's proof that your father is someone else. Your father is the devil. And he gives evidence for that accusation. If you're truly children of Abraham, then you would do what Abraham did. You would love me, but you don't. Instead, your attributes are more like the devil. You lie, you scheme, you plot murder in your hearts. These are the same things that the devil has done forever. What's scary to think about is that not only are people enslaved to sin through their sin nature, but at the same time, everyone, apart from God's intervening grace, is under the influence of the devil's work in the world. Have you ever wondered, have you ever had one of those moments, I know I have, I know many of you have, when you look out into our world and you think, gosh, there's some weird things going on. Um, a, A lot of people, though, they speculate and they think, There's some secret organization out there meeting in smoke-filled rooms on some deserted island, and they're just like orchestrating all of the things that are going on globally. That's what's going on. Little conspiracy theory-ish. Let's just assume it is happening. It's not, but let's just assume it is happening. Um, That's not even the worst thing, because there's a deeper, darker smoke-filled room, and there's a darker force at work that is at work in the world, and it's that spiritual oppression, opposition, is what Jesus is saying you need to be set free from. Not just the the sin nature and the flesh that gives in to sin in general, but even bigger than that, this dark force that's active in the world. But again, this is exactly what Jesus came to set us free from. From. I'm going I'm to read a long passage from Ephesians 2, and this is Paul describing this freedom that I've been describing. Just listen to what he says. And you, talking about believers, were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He's talking about the devil. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children, not of God, but of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. 
and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Again, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is what we have been set free from. This is what we have been set free to, to walk in righteousness, in the good works that he has set before us. Peter, in his epistle, writes that Jesus came specifically to destroy the works of the devil. Friends, people, they need to be set free. And not just from sin, but set free from the demonic forces that are at work in the world today. And the good news is that spiritual freedom is available through believing and abiding in God's word. It's as simple and yet as powerful as that. It is the only thing that sets people free. Which brings us to our final section. Uh, sees and celebrates. I know it's a C, but it sounds the same. <laughs> sees and celebrates. Verse 48 to 59 says, the Jews answered him, are we not right in saying you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death, taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God, but you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. The beginning of this interaction, for some reason, the picture comes into my mind of a third grade argument. Um, You see these little kids just, don't call me stupid, you're stupider. (laughs) It's actually quite embarrassing. Jesus is like, your father is the devil. And they're like, no, your father's the devil. It's like, you guys are dorks. You know, that didn't really work. But they call him a Samaritan, which was a cultural slur. It's basically the worst name you could call somebody in their culture. Um, But the conversation comes back to Abraham. 
Because Jesus said, if anyone keeps my words, anyone, including non-Jews, Gentiles, he or she will never taste death, which was shocking to them. Again, they had the freedom because of their bloodline, but he's now anybody who believes my word uh, will never see death. To which they again say, man, now we know you have a demon. And they ask him rhetorically, uh, do you think you're greater than Abraham? Abraham didn't offer this thing that you're offering that you will never taste death. How can you promise this thing that not even Abraham promised nor experienced since, you know, he died and uh, the prophets, they died. Are you better than them where you can offer life that we will never taste death? And Jesus repeats some of his earlier statements, but essentially he says this, In verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Now, what did he mean by that statement? How did he see his day? I mean, Abraham lived hundreds and hundreds of years before, but what he meant by that was that Abraham did see it, but it was by faith. It was the fulfillment of God's promise to him that would come in the future to give him an offspring that would bring blessing and spiritual freedom to all who would believe. He saw by faith what he could not see by sight of this future reality. Think about it this way. Those of us who believe in the gospel, we look to the past. We weren't there when Jesus was crucified. We weren't there when he rose again from the grave. So we can't see it. We weren't there. But we believe the report of a bunch of people who did see it. That's what faith is. Faith is, I, I, I see this thing. I believe it, yet I don't see it. But by it, I see everything else. It's my new reality. But those who lived in the Old Testament, they didn't have that. All they had was the promise of God for a future fulfillment of that word. They had far less information. And yet what Jesus is saying here is Abraham saw it. He believed his word by faith, and he actually was able to glimpse, I know what this is going to look like. And he was glad, rejoiced in his coming. But I, even then, we can agree, or understand this to some degree because we still look forward to a day in the future when Christ will return and truly and finally and completely set us free, our faith in that day gives us hope and joy in the present suffering and difficulty through sin and through a broken and fallen world. That same experience that we have, that we look forward in faith and see and are excited about, rejoice in it, It's that same thing that Jesus is talking about here. That's what Abraham rejoiced in. But they respond to this and say, how can you know what Abraham did? Were you there? Uh, you're, You're not even 50. Abraham died hundreds and hundreds of years earlier. It just shows how much they didn't get it. But that's when Jesus drops the bomb on them, right? In verse 58. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was I am. This was Jesus' final claim or ultimate claim to divinity. 
It's missing the, the, the predicate there. All the other times, it's I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the gate, I am the door, I am all of these things. Here is just I am, which was that divine covenant name of God. Essentially, what he's saying is the God who revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush when he said the name, <clears throat> the name I am that I am, that God who delivered his people from Egypt, <clears throat> that's me. I'm that guy before Abraham ever even lived, which was hundreds of years before Moses. I lived before that. And they immediately understand what he's saying. And their response is not repentance. Their response is not faith. Instead, they pick up stones to kill him because they think he's making a blasphemous claim to be God. And that's where the story ends. (laughs) An incredible invitation. You can have spiritual freedom given with an incredible revelation. The one offering you freedom is the only one who can give it, God, in the flesh. And he has come to set you free. And yet, it was met, it was met with intense opposition. They did not receive the freedom because they did not recognize who Jesus was. But I think that's where the story takes some relevance for us. I don't know about you. I'm someone that learns from bad examples. I look at some things and I go, now now that's not to say I always made the right decision after that. But I can see that and I go, you know what? That's a bad decision. I'm not going to follow that. And that's what John's doing here. He's saying, what is it for you? Do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe that his word is truth? Do you believe, have you been convinced of this truth that you need to be set free from sin and slavery to Satan who rules this world? Have you been convinced of that yet? Or are you still living in denial and in darkness and telling yourself, nah, I'm I'm all right, I'm fine. I just need a little more effort, a little more meditation, uh, talk to my counselor a few more times. You know, really what I need is a long vacation. I don't know. Whatever that thing is that you think, I'm not there yet. I think I can figure this out on my own. I mean, you're a slave to yourself and to the dark forces in this world. Are you going to be like these people or are you going to respond to Jesus' invitation? It's there. True spiritual freedom is offered to all, and it's offered free of charge. And it's discovered and received by God's word to walk in God's word. When you abide in his word, that's where you gain true spiritual freedom. Why don't we pray and then we'll have a time of communion together. God, we come before you, and for those of us who are in who have come to believe in your son Jesus, it is this truth that we resonate with so much, that apart from Christ, we were enslaved. We were in bondage to ourself. Even when we wanted to change, we couldn't change on our own. And we realized that There were forces at work against us that we could not 
muster up enough strength and energy to deliver ourselves from, we recognized that it's only through Christ and through the powerful working of His Word in our lives that truly has set us free. And God, we want to remain and abide in that Word so that we can continue to walk in the freedom that you have given to us. I pray, God, for anyone who is still walking in bondage to sin and to the enemy, that, God, you would set them free by the truth of your word as they put their faith and trust in you and walk out of that slavery to sin and in your righteousness. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.